At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. This is a special Best of Caller Questions InvestTalk compilation program. Remember, the InvestTalk phone lines never close. Please call with questions. 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART. They will be played and answered on an upcoming InvestTalk podcast. Welcome to InvestTalk. Above average investing for the average investor. We try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have, as long as they're financial. Let's go talk to Mark. He is in San Jose. He wants to talk about CDs. Hello. I just transferred uh, 218000 switch careers from my 401k. I uh, bought a house. I was putting 13% max away. Borrowed half of it. Bought a house. Paid that off. Quit the job. Recently transferred the 218 to my IRA. Mm-hmm. And I was just scared of the stock, and I was thinking about you know investing in something, and I was thinking about CDs, like maybe ten or fifteen thousand in CDs, and wanted your thoughts on some good CDs. Well, as CDs to are letting f- it sitting there in the IRA. Yeah, well, CDs are fine. I mean, that's just a fixed income product. They have various yields and, and various maturities. Uh, they're obviously going to be safe, FDIC insured. Uh, but you can buy treasuries as well uh, and get probably better yields. Uh, you know, if you want to be conservative, 
CDs are fine, but treasuries are conservative as well, as long as you don't go too far out in duration. I think right now, as we go into likely a rate cutting cycle, a little bit of duration is fine. You know, going out maybe three years, four years, something like that. I don't see an issue with that. I wouldn't go out too much farther than that. I think CDs are fine. But like I said, treasuries, you can get for a six-month treasury, you can get 5.3%. 5.3%. For a one year, you can get over 5%. It just depends on what yields you are available on your platform, on that platform for your IRA. I don't know who your broker is, uh, but I would explore that as well as compare those to treasury rates because both are very safe and you know you may get better rates from those uh, those treasuries. Yeah, I forgot to mention I'm 54. Mm-hmm. And what about doing a 50-50 like split 15,000 between treasury and CDs as opposed to one or the other. I see no reason to split it. I'm just going to go with the best yield because to me, the risk is the same as long as the the duration is the same. You don't plan on selling them. And that's another thing. Treasuries, you can sell if you want to. CDs, most time you're locked in unless you want to give up your interest that you've earned. Whereas treasuries, you can hold them. You buy a three-year treasury, sell it, hold it for a year and go sell it. Right, and you're still going to get the interest that you received over that full year. So I think treasuries are better unless you're getting a substantial higher yield for the same maturity. Right, if you're looking at a two-year CD versus a two-year treasury, and that CD is average is, is yielding a quarter point or more higher than that treasury, then it, maybe it's willing. Maybe it's it makes sense to lock that money up to, over that time period for that little extra yield. But in today's world, you may not get that. So it's really about shopping around, and I look at them as the same, pretty much the same level of risk, and I would be leaning towards treasuries over CDs. But remember, long-term, equities are going to do better. I know you're kind of in that pre-retirement phase, you know, mid-50s, so maybe your risk tolerance is low, so maybe you don't want to uh, buy equities. I think equities are just fine. Could there be a pullback next early next year? Sure. Probably late first quarter is, is, is my best guess, but I wouldn't be afraid of that. Remember, I, I, this is a very important show we did. I believe it was November. I want to say 14th or something like that. And we talked about how there's only one scenario where, quote unquote, timing the market makes sense. And that is when equities are egregiously overvalued, egregiously overvalued. And 2000 was pretty much that time where equities are egregiously overvalued. Today... I would say equities are modestly undervalued. Even if they're modestly overvalued, they're still going to do better than treasuries and CDs over the long term. So I've, I see this all the time. Oh, I'm scared of equities. Equities rallied. I think the mar- everyone's sentiment is really bad, right? Because of the politics or whatever, you, you know, the national debt or whatever. And so many people get caught up in that mindset. And it is a mindset that will frankly, drain you of returns over the long term. Now, can you get it right over a short period of time? Sure. But most people are scared into safer instruments to the detriment of the long-term returns. So not saying you have to go buy equities, but you should be looking for an opportunity to buy equities. Like this recent pullback this summer, everyone out there who maybe isn't fully invested, those are opportunities for you to allocate more when the market's down, not when the market's up. And unfortunately, it's difficult for people to do that. So while I I won't discourage you from buying CDs or treasuries, know that kind of in the medium term, you need to think about getting that into equities over time. 
depending on your risk tolerance level, obviously. But short term, I'd be looking at treasuries over CDs. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Hi, Will. Hey, hi, Steve. How they get there. I'm wondering if now is a good time to be buying preferred stocks. And when they get there. Would this be an opportune time? That depends on many variables. To get into annuities. Everyone's situation is different. And as I listened, I'm trying to turn more into an investor rather than a speculator. And so are their questions. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. I'm calling about Peloton. P-G-O-N is a sticker. I'd appreciate your take on medical properties trust. Hey, I was trying to reach Justin, Luke, or Steve. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. 15% of that capital to work in annuity and then look for opportunities to add more over time. Steve Peasley. Okay, so when you split, you'll still have about 5%. And my personal belief is you should just hold on to them. And now Luke Guerrero. Figure out a way to diversify away that risk. That's always going to be beneficial. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. All right, this is Boeing, a company that levered up its balance sheet to buy up tons of shares pre-pandemic. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. I wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan. Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. 888-99-CHART. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hey, good evening, guys. This is Craig outside Seattle. I've got a question for you. I'm 52. I've got about 600K in a Roth 401K, about 100 grand in Roth IRAs. Anyway, uh, I'm at a point where uh, my Fidelity guy told me that I've got about 200 grand that I've done of in-plan conversions from pre-tax to Roth that I could, without penalty, move into a Roth IRA at this point. And then I'm thinking about the other 400 grand uh, moving into brokerage link rather than the mutual funds I have. But I'm wondering if there is any advantage, disadvantage, protection, or lack of protection, any reason to keep it in the 401k versus moving that part into the Roth IRA. I like to retire at 55, and I know there are provisions to be able to pull your 401k at 55 if you, uh, you know, retire from your company, so I'm tempted to leave it there. But I thought there may be some blind spots I have there or some benefits or deficiencies to moving it or not moving it, benefits to the Roth IRA versus the Roth 401k. Uh, appreciate any insight you can give. Thanks so much. All right. So the main difference here, there are creditor protections, better creditor protections for 401ks versus IRAs. So that's only if you think there's maybe a chance of a bankruptcy for the vast majority of people, that's a very, very low probability. So I don't see that as a major consideration anyone should make, especially if you have hundreds of thousands of dollars, you probably have a good job. You've been in it a while. You probably have other assets, et cetera. Then when it comes to taking money out, it, I believe 401ks, a Roth 401ks is still 59 and a half. So same for a, a Roth IRA, uh, when you can take the money out penalty free, uh, a, a growth of the money out penalty free, say that. 
so I would do it mainly because you're going to open yourself up to any investment that you want within that IRA as opposed to the 401k. I know you have the brokerage link window. That can be a challenge. Can There can be issues with that. Roth IRAs, super clean, super easy. You can move from one broker to another. If you don't like the broker that your brokerage link uses within your 401k, you can move it, you know, you, you, you know, you're, you're stuck with that within your 401k, whatever that brokerage link is. With a Roth IRA, you can move from one broker to another, no tax consequences, super easy, straightforward. So I think that about covers it. Uh, if you w- want to dig a little bit deeper, I encourage a portfolio review assessment. Uh, I think there's probably a little more information that I didn't get on that call that uh, would help me give you even uh, a more decisive answer. So I, I would encourage that portfolio review. Thanks for the call. All right, let's go to Bill in Northern California. Let's talk about interest rates. Hi, Justin. Good afternoon. Yeah, thanks again for all your you know detailed analysis. I appreciate it. I have a fairly large brokerage account, taxable account at Vanguard, and I have a high proportion of money. Actually, I inherited it, so I've been investing slowly over time, just kind of left year and a half since I've received the money in. But there's still quite a bit in the uh, money market, and they pay a really good yield. It's the, uh, I don't know, what you, what's that called, the flush account, you know, the money that comes mm-hmm. in and out of your uh, mm-hmm. stock sales mm-hmm. goes to that. And they pay a really high interest rate. It's gone up, you know, every time the Fed raises rates, it's gone up. It's It's been, mm-hmm. since early in the year, it's been uh, over 5%, like 5, mm-hmm. you know, I think 5.3, but then they take out a fee for the money market. It's like yep. 0.11. It's still like pretty high, and and I knew eventually, you know, that's going to go down. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not, I don't really understand all the intricacies of how the the Fed rates, and if they are talking about lowering rates now, and then they're saying maybe between March and June they might be cutting rates. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of curious: is there any way to to know or to have a kind of like a good idea of how much they're going to cut? And over what period of time? And do they ever announce that in advance? You know what they're going to no, do. No, uh, before it used to be a surprise. Now they they pretty much will tell you. They will they will indicate to the market that a rate cut is coming. So it it it's it'll be pretty much priced in by the time they actually announce it. So you'll see that rate drop because remember they're investing in kind of short-term treasuries and in fixed income securities. Those with those money market accounts is what I'm talking about. So it will start to adjust downward. I have actually started to see that a little bit. Some of those money market accounts are already starting to, those yields are, are dropping slightly uh, because the market is pricing in a, a, a potential rate cut in the late first quarter, sometime second quarter timeframe. And that's going to start having it, having an impact. And so, yes, you're getting 5% now, but if the Fed does cut rates, that's going to start l- impacting those those money market uh, yields. How much they're going to cut? Now, typically, they, they stick with 25 basis point cuts unless there's some sort of major event, right? Something, a major credit event where they want to stem the tide, they want to calm everybody down, they want to keep everything solid and and help uh, improve sentiment, then they'll maybe do it at a more drastic pace. Uh, so if that's going to happen, that typically happens further down the line. 
Uh, I don't see any reason to expect a, a major problem like that in the next six months. Obviously, anything could happen, but uh, they they could do it more aggressively. Now, where that ultimately settles at settles out at will be uh, interesting, especially in this generally inflationary environment. Will you know how much will inflation come down? Does it level off back around the 1% level like it did before in previous economic slowdowns? Or is it somewhere closer to 2 2.5%? I, I, in, in our mind and what we've seen in the data, it's probably closer to 2, and a half, two to 2.5%, two which gives them uh, probably less room to cut, meaning, hey, they're probably not going to be quite as aggressive on the cutting side. But you won't know, right? We don't know. The market's always constantly shifting based on economic activity or economic data as well as Fed speak. And pricing that in, and you've seen that over the past month or so, kind of that shift in market expectations for uh, from a, a Fed rate potential hike by the end of the year to no hike, and now it's saying there won't be a Fed rate cut until the end of the year. Now it's saying, oh, it's probably going to be in the first half of the year. So all that will shift the the bond market and interest rates in the overall economy. Yeah, no way to know. But if you want to lock in those 5% rates, that's when you want to say, maybe take the money out of the the money market and maybe go out a little bit farther, 6, 12, 18 months on the treasury curve. You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you, 888-99-CHART. Beginning our experience, we're here to answer your questions. Listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hello, Invest Talk. My name is Enrique Calling from Pacific Beach. My question is Is it better to reinvest the dividends back into the stock or to get them deposited into your core account, even though if you're going to keep investing $500 to $1,000 a month? want to hear your take on it looking forward to the answer on the podcast thank you very much now there are different ways to think about this back in the day when there are were commission charges for buying stocks it made a lot more sense to do dividend reinvestment now what this is for everyone out there is basically if you get paid a dividend you can choose pretty much every broker allows you to choose whether you are going to receive that cash and just going to go into the money market account or if that cash is now taken and reinvested in the stock. And typically, you're getting the close for that particular day. Now, if you're dollar cost averaging over time, it makes sense to just take that as shares. doesn't matter the price. You're just going to buy it. And sometimes it's going to be at a low price. Sometimes it's going to be at a high price. But the dividend is going to be roughly the same. Hopefully, it grows over time. Now, like I said before... That made a lot more sense because you were avoiding a commission. There are no commission charges to reinvesting that dividend. Now, no commission charges pretty much across the board. You can be more strategic with it. Now, what we do for our clients, we take it as cash and we're able to help rebalance the portfolio and reinvest it more strategically. But you have to be consistently looking at the markets, consistently thinking about the overall strategy of your portfolio and rebalancing your portfolio towards a particular target. That's what we do as professionals while we're managing individual client accounts. 
So if you don't do that, if you don't pay attention to it very often, you just have dividend payers, and you're okay with kind of a dollar cost averaging approach over time, then I have seen no problem with doing that, right? Taking it as equity. So it depends on who you are and how you want to deal with dividend reinvestment. It's really more of an individualized decision. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial. If, to any degree, you are unsure about the consistency of your skill set with regard to managing your portfolio, now may be a smart time for you to ask KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein for individualized guidance. You can start with a no-obligation phone call to the KPP Financial Office in Irvine, California, or send Steve and Justin a message through investtalk.com. The InvestTalk Radio and Podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call with questions. 888-99-CHART. I had an interesting question. One of my nephews, he's turning 11 years old for his Christmas wishes to put stocks on there. So I was thinking about buying him a few shares in a company. Now, I was thinking about the best stocks to buy for kids. I looked it up. There are some suggestions like Disney, Target, Mattel, Hasbro. You know, some of them are not doing very well right now, so I don't want to buy him a stock that's not doing well, right? And there's Nike, Adidas, which he is into sports. I was thinking about buying him a stock that I own that he might be interested in, maybe Caterpillar perhaps, or maybe just VTI, the total stock index. If you had any suggestions on what you would do for a 10-year-old super long-term hold, would you just buy a certain sector? Would you buy an ETF? Or how do you feel about any of those companies that I just mentioned? Do they stand out? Let me know your thoughts. Thank you very much. Bye. I love this call because I think it's great to get young people into understanding the investment world. And if there's a lot of lessons to be had, and the earlier you can learn those lessons, the better. And the sooner they can get in the habit of potentially saving to invest, the better. Now, I would not do some broad-based ETF, although that creates instant diversification, et cetera. It's not going to teach them anything or much, let's say. And they're going to have no connection to what the S&P is or Vanguard or anything. It's not in their lexicon. It's not in their world. But brands are. And you talked about some of them, Disney, Nike, et cetera. Sounds like you said he was in the sports. So obviously Nike would be probably the, the main one for that. I would go with something that resonates with him based on his favorite sport or favorite movie or favorite clothing brand, things like that. And how there is a connection towards ownership. And I think even adults, they lose track of that simple fact that when you own equity, you're part owner. And so many people chase stories, they chase fads, they don't chase good businesses. But if you were to go and actually invest in an actual business in your city, how much would you scrutinize generally what they do versus how much profit they're making, how much cash flow they're making, and how much that means for you, the business owner. And so those are the lessons that I would try to instill in an 11-year-old. And they're probably not going to get as excited if it's some broad ETF. If you can explain to them, hey, you buy a share in Nike, you are a part owner, a very small part owner, but at the end of the day, you are a small part owner in a brand that they love. 
Nike pays a dividend. So they're going to get some sort of, it's not a big dividend, 1.3%. Not amazing, but it's something. And you can explain that process as well. How that can go up and down. How the price can go up and down. So that's the way I would go about it. I wouldn't Google and say, okay, best stocks for kids. No. Everybody's different. Every kid's different. Some kids are into basketball, others soccer, others jujitsu, others music, others surfing. So they all have different interests. And find what that interest is and find a quality business related to that strong interest. I'm Money Manager Steve Peasley, and we're here to help you get better results if we can with your invested dollars. That's our goal. Do you have a question? Check in now, 888-99-CHART. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99 C H A R T, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hi, my name's Dave. I really like your show and appreciate eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers. Whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Your information. Just a quick question. Why are the oil prices and the oil company stock prices all going down when a Middle East war is raging? I don't understand what's going on here. I would think everything would be driving up the price. But if you look over the last month, it's all been going down. Can you explain that, please? Thanks. Very simple. Geopolitical concerns are one aspect of where oil prices are going. And the main driver has to do with economic growth. And as job numbers uh, and economic numbers more broadly in the largest economy in the world here in the U.S., as those continue to decelerate, the market is pricing in weaker expected demand, even though History says it takes a really bad recession for demand to drop. So demand continues to go up, but what you're seeing is the restrictions on Russian oil, for example. Uh, it's not really working. Okay, It's one of those things where there's good intentions, but they find ways around it. And in some ways, lowering the price actually incentivizes Russia to pump more and just sell it to those that are willing to buy it, like India and China. So 
paradoxically, Russia has kind of gained market share in non-Western markets, uh, and <clears throat> supply growth for now remains pretty solid, even though rig count has started to decline starting kind of middle of this year here domestically. So I think it's more of a, a short-term uh a short-term trend. I don't see this as something that's sticking. Uh, I don't think that trend is going to stick uh, for an, a long period of time. But for right now, you know, just because there's a war in the Middle East uh, doesn't mean. And, and the fact, the simple fact is, nothing has spilled over. It still remains a a war confined to a small area. And Iran hasn't gotten into it. Saudi Arabia hasn't gotten into it. There's some been some regional skirmishes, but. Nothing that is disrupted the flow of oil. So just because of the headlines doesn't mean you have to interpret that being uh, super impactful for the energy sector. For right now, uh, it hasn't had a major impact on supply. Do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today, 888-99-CHART. First of all, thank you for all you guys do. Really appreciate the uh, the work that you put in. My question would be in my uh, 401k, since I have limited investment options, looking at the slight terminal market in right now, between small, mid, and large cap funds, how would you allocate your fixed percentage of money? You know, my risk being slightly higher since I'm younger, I don't mind some, some higher risk. Uh, appreciate all the help, guys. Thank you. Well, longer term, the this is how to think about large, mid, and small. Long term, small has the best return, but mid cap has the best risk adjusted return, meaning. It's almost as good as small cap, but with much less volatility. Now, near term, obviously, small cap is catching up, easing of financial conditions, going into a Fed rate cutting cycle. Small caps are going to benefit, benefit from those easing of conditions of lowering borrowing costs. So if you are aggressive, you're young, I would do something like probably 30% small, 40% mid, 30% large. That would be a general allocation. That makes sense. Hey guys, this is Chance in Knoxville, Tennessee. I can honestly say I wouldn't be investing on my own without your podcast. So I really appreciate you guys. My question is regarding tax lots. Uh, when selling shares, how do you decide which tax lots to sell? I understand there are probably a multitude of scenarios, but I'm having trouble making that decision when I'm looking at uh, trimming profits, for example. If you could provide some general guidance around this, I would love to hear your advice. Thanks. Well, that all depends on your goals here. How much tax loss are you trying to take? Is it long-term or short-term? You know, to pick the lots, you have to have an end goal in mind. I'm offsetting X amount of gains, or or maybe I want to take some losses in, you know, uh, on my income and carry some forward. Maybe it's a rebalancing position um, that, that you're, you're, you're trying to take as well, where, where you're Killing two birds with one stone, right? Taking tax loss, uh, tax losses as well as rebalancing the portfolio. But you know, there's there's not a general guideline besides what your tax goals are. That's why someone generally tends to do tax loss selling. Would you add anything on top of that, Luke? 
Yeah, I think I would just add that you should never be too concerned about over tax loss selling if you're trying to trim a position. And that's because you can carry your capital loss carry forwards onto the next year and beyond uh, if you have more losses than you have for gains that year. So certainly don't be concerned if you oversell as long as you're within the bounds of what you're trying to accomplish to rebalance your portfolio. Yeah. And then what do you want left? Do you want the, what you have left to be short term or are you trying to take longer term losses? You know, it just depends on what your what your goals are there. Typically, you want to save the long-term lots for when you have gains, right? You'd rather have a short-term loss versus a long-term gain. So and that's one way to think about it as well. Let's go talk to Felipe in Washington, D.C. He wants to talk about bonds. Hi, Justin. This is Felipe. And um, I, I work for the federal government, um, like many mm-hmm. people in Washington, D.C., and we only have a choice of essentially three or four different options in our retirement plan. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I wanted to ask, because I heard on a previous episode, you were discussing um, AGG, so basically the Lehman Bond Index, which would correspond yep. to our F fund, um, as you know, basically the it looked like it was going to head downward. It was making higher lows and lower highs or something like that. And um, my, I've always heard, and I've done a lot of reading, that as interest rates go down, bond indexes go up. Why am I wrong? If interest rates go down, bond indexes go up? Correct. Yeah, that's, that's true. They're inversely correlated. So if interest rates go up, bond prices go down. But then why and would AGG, the F fund, essentially be not good right because that is it owns bonds right and if interest rates are rising and there yeah. is a duration to that those holdings then they will fall right the longer the duration the more sensitive they're going to be to interest rates and so okay. you probably noticed the f fund that has yeah. rallied as of late just like AGG yes, has it, it, it has interest have fallen. you were saying just on like an episode or two ago AGG you didn't like it because it seemed to continue yes. trending downward. Exactly. So in the, there's a the difference. There's always time frames. There's long term, the short term. Okay. In the longer term, if interest rates are on, in an uptrend, which we do think they are, to what degree, who knows, uh, then AGG will not be generally a good place to be. Uh, but in the short term, when you have, and that, that's that's what we call a secular trend. Then there are cyclical trends where rates can pull back, if, especially if the Fed's going to embark on a rate cutting cycle. But it's probably likely that the bottom of that rate cutting cycle isn't zero again. It's probably, you know, three and a half, four percent. And then you start seeing rates move back up again. So that's there's a difference between the long term and that short term. Long term, no. Yes. Near term, you know, I think ag and that SF fund can do. okay. Our Invest Talk mission is to help you make better investing decisions. To do that on your own, thumbs up or thumbs down choices based on good, solid investing principles. But we need your questions to keep us on track. 888-99-CHART or click on Contact Steve or Contact Justin on investtalk.com. Hello, Steve and Justin. This is Paulo from Davisburg, Maryland. Hope you guys are doing well. I have a question on um, the market today. It outperformed, everything kind of like outperformed and I have like some stock that are doing very good since the past months, especially innovative industrial properties. I'm at my break even point now and I wanted to ask you guys what you think, like is it time for investors to 
take some profits, take some money off the table, or just let it keep running. But it was kind of like too much for my taste. Looking forward to hear the answer on the podcast. And uh, thank you. Bye-bye. Well, the first thing you want to do is not think about your break-even price. Too many people look at that. It's kind of an average investor's way of thinking. Professionals, you know, we look at broad asset allocation. And right now, what you're starting to see is a shift in the market. Value starting to outperform growth. Small cap starting to outperform large cap. And we've just started that recent trend over the past, call it six weeks. And typically, those trends last for months. So that's probably the way I would more think about it. Now, IAPR, it's a small cap REIT. So should you take profits? If you want to be allocating more to small cap, probably not. And just because you're even doesn't mean that's when you sell it, right? So if you're talking about taking profits, yeah, maybe you should over the next couple of weeks, take some profits. Maybe you want to wait till the new year for tax purposes, if it's a taxable account. But on those growthier names that have had a good year, but maybe taking a look at them related to the broader market or small caps over the past month, they haven't done quite as well. Because you're seeing that a lot. A lot of those large caps are still up over the past month. And you might think, oh, that's fine. But now they're, the, the small caps are up double digits over the past month. So in reality, it's lagging now. And there's other places to, to reallocate. So that's the way I would think about it. Not necessarily, oh, I'm breaking even or anything like that. It's setting that asset allocation target and continuously moving your portfolio towards that target goal. Uh, I have a question about where to store holdings for stock buying and investing. I have an IRA, but it's maxed for the year. Is it wise or even legal to have several IRA accounts? Or what is the best way to set up accounts to invest from? Uh, anyway, appreciate everything you guys do. Love the show. And I look forward to hearing the answer. Have a good one. I have multiple IRA accounts, but that doesn't get you around the IRA contribution limits. So, and you can also have, for example, a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA and split the contributions between your IRA and your Roth IRA. But you can't do the limit, say 7000 per year in each of those accounts. It's an aggregate total contributions to your IRAs. So nothing wrong with holding a, a handful of different IRAs, maybe different brokers for various reasons, et cetera. Uh, there's no limit to that, but there remains a limit in IRA contributions. Hi, Steve, Justin, and Luke. I am calling with a question on bonds with the interest rates hopefully coming down. Would this be a good time to invest in short-term bonds? Um, I was looking into one to three years bond terms, so I'm not exactly clear on the bonds and how they work, but I'm just thinking to put some money into bonds and so I wanted to get your opinion. So I'll be listening to the answer on your show. Thank you. Well, if you think interest rates are going to come down, you would actually want longer-term bonds. You would want duration. Now, rates have already come down. So here's the issue that most people have is that they say they see what happens in the headlines and they think, oh, I'm going to chase the headline. But remember, the market front runs that. Just look at what the 10-year yield has done in the past two months. It was sniffing out the Fed pause, 
and rates peaked at 5%. And by the time the Fed announced that they were pausing, rates were already down to four point, roughly 2%. And now since then, we're down right about 3.9% in the 10-year. So the 10-year has fallen 110 basis points in two months. That means anything with longer duration is going to rally. And I'll give you an example here. TLT, that's the 30-year bond ETF. That bottom at 82, now it's at 99. So that's rallying about 15% in just two months. That's a pretty big move for bonds. Whereas the short-term bonds, I'll look at just the SHY, you talk about one to three years. That rallied from 80 up to 82 now, two and a half percent. That's how much the short-term bonds have rallied. So if you're trying to play rates coming down, you don't want short-term, you want duration, you want something that's longer term. Now that's for a trade, okay, for a trade. And that's something I think a lot of people get confused on, especially when they're, I get questions on this. Well, you, you say bonds are bad because of, of, of inflation, interest rates are growing up, but then you're saying right now bonds are good. Yes, it depends on your time frame. For a trade, as you go through an easing cycle, longer duration bonds are going to be a better trade. But if you are believing that, like us, that inflation is more entrenched, that we're more in a longer term uptrend in, in bond yields, that means that you don't want duration. You do want those shorter term bonds generally over the next decade or two. So it depends on your time horizon. Playing an easing cycle is about actually adding duration, not going short term. All right, let's go to Peter in San Jose. Let's talk about 401k. Hi, Steve. Hi, Justin and the Invest Talk team. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Appreciate all the daily information, opinions, and thoughts. I love your guys' show. My question's on a 401k. I basically have a target fund in my 401k and other options. And one of the best options that is doing really well is a, a fund, a Fidelity Contra Fund, which you're probably very familiar with, is doing extremely well, uh, significantly well than my uh, target retirement blended fund investment. I just wanted to hear the team's uh, thoughts on... Yeah, um, so what you're, this is what's happening. You're chasing return, right? You're com and you're comparing apples to oranges. That, that target dated fund has a mix of assets. It has not just equities, but it also has uh, bonds in there, right? So it's not going to do as well as a pure equity fund when equities are up. Now, this Fidelity Contra Fund did horrible last year, down 28%. This year, up 33%. It's still not at its highs. That is not where you want to allocate capital right now. It's a large cap growth stock or fund. Stick with your target data fund. Don't chase this return. All right, this is Invest Talk. Give me a call at 888 chart. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99Chart, 888 99Chart, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hi, Justin and Steve. This is Quentin from New Hampshire. I have a question about what happens to a stock that I have in my IRA that delists themselves. And I'm just curious what happens. Do they just get sold to me? Uh, I mean, at that point by my IRA holder or um, should I sell them before they get delisted? Thanks a lot. Great show. Uh, well, they become much harder to trade. Your broker might still be able to sell them in the OTC markets. It's really up to the broker and the stock. Yeah, I, I would say the simplest thing. 
sell it before you get delisted. A lot of people get stuck with names uh, like that. Happens with ADRs as well, where they're no longer, they're still traded on a foreign market, but they're no longer traded on the domestic market. And then suddenly now you have to go basically sell a foreign stock uh, that may be less liquid and cost more, et cetera. So yeah, it's just easier to sell it before it gets delisted. Hey, Steve, Luke, and Justin. Happy holidays to you all. This is Kevin calling from Southern California. There's a stock, a company that I, I think is uh, going bankrupt. And uh, the stock is already down to like 30 cents, 35 cents a share. And I want to put on my thoughts of bankruptcy. What's the best way to do that if my brokerage is not allowing any more short selling on this stock? Is there a way to use options to profit in the next couple of months? That's my question. And I look forward to hearing your answer on the show. And thank you as always. Again, happy holidays. Yeah, very simple. Buy puts, buy in the money puts. I don't know if puts are available or options are available on that particular stock. A lot of times when they're that cheap, there aren't. But yeah, pretty simple. Go buy some puts. There you go. This is Invest Talk. You can get your free Invest Talk podcast downloads anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or investtalk.com. I am a big fan of your podcast, and I just got started with it. Be sure to tell your friends and family members about Invest Talk and encourage them to listen, rate, and review. The Anytime Listener lines never close. Steve and Justin are waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen, Justin. Just want to say thank you very much for the podcast. I really enjoy the show and everything that I've learned. I have a quick question about value stocks and growth stocks. So recently we have noticed that bond yields have risen because of inflation expectations. And I still think that inflation expectations will continue to rise. So if that happens, I, I believe that the bond yields will rise. And if that happens, how would that affect growth stocks? And then how would that affect value stocks? Thank you very much. I really appreciate it and hope to hear the answer on the podcast. Thank you. Bye. Well, the answer to higher bond yields and how it affects different companies comes back to a discounted cash flow method. That's how on Wall Street and most of finance assets are valued, right? You take the current value of future cash flows. And those future cash flows are discounted by what's called the discount rate. And in finance, that is typically the 10-year treasury rate. Right now, it's at 1.16. Last summer, it was at about 0.5%. And as that goes up, those future cash flows are discounted at a higher rate, which means today they're worth less. Okay. So that's the basics of what a discounted cash flow method is. Now, in, in growth stocks and companies that are expected to grow a lot over the next five, 10 years, the future cash flows that are expected are valued very highly today when interest rates are low, right? Because you're only disc, you're discounting high growth, high numbers in the, in the, in the far away future by a small amount each and every year. And therefore today's value of those large future cash flows is very high. But when interest rates go up, suddenly the value of current value of those longer dated cash flows decline. And so if interest rates do continue to go up because inflation goes up, you're going to see 
multiples on these growth names come down. You're already starting to see that to some extent, some uh, lower momentum in a lot of these names, some consolidation, uh, some of them making lower highs. And on the value side, the market's not expecting big high returns or high growth for these type of companies. They tend to be uh, lower growth. They grow tend to be with the overall economy, you know, three, five, 10% a year. Uh, and those future cash flows aren't expected to be a whole lot higher than they are today. So those changes in interest rates don't affect them very much. On top of that, if inflation picks up, oftentimes a lot of those value names are commodity names, right? So their businesses in the near term are also going to do much, much better in a higher inflationary environment. So I hope that unpacked it for you. It's certainly a complex topic, but hopefully that distilled it down as simple, simply as they possibly can, and hopefully you could digest it. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.